Welcome to the Big Fundamental Spurs podcast, a Kins 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, it's too bad that podcasting is an audio medium. People are missing us out wearing our DeMar DeRozan Comp 10 outfits. <laughs> uh, he was, has a pop-up here. He's uh, selling some gear here uh, in San Antonio. It's a one-location pop-up here in San Antonio that DeMar DeRozan's putting together. Hey, when you're only making $25, $26 million a year, you got to have that side hustle. Go get that money tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. And he's going to get that money this season playing into kind of a contract year. But before we, got ahead, before we get ahead to the regular season, we've got a preseason to talk about. And boy, is there a lot to talk about here. The Spurs, three preseason games down, still looking for that W. 0-3 here. Yeah... There's a lot. We have a lot to talk about about this, even though it's three preseason games. I think a lot of people will think about this and say, it's just the preseason. What are you concerned about? It's, here's the thing. It's not the same preseason as it was maybe a decade ago where there was a whole month of it and teams were regularly resting guys because there were, what, 10, 12 preseason games and there was really no reason to, uh, to play your guys. That's not the case anymore. There's, the, the Spurs are only going to play five preseason games before the regular season starts. And most other teams are playing their guys a good bit. And the Spurs, that, that hasn't been the case. That, that's the silver lining is that uh, the Spurs, you know, their dudes haven't really been playing that much. DeMar sat out one of the three games and so did LaMarcus. Yeah, we've talked about it off mic. But, yeah, I mean, that used to be, you know, preseason. You say, oh, these are the guys at 70%. And the Spurs still seem to be running at about 70%. Even if other teams are at 85%. But, I mean, we saw it Saturday when New Orleans, or Sunday when New Orleans was here. Is New Orleans is 85% better than the Spurs 70%? And what does that translate to, you know, looking big picture when both teams are at that 100% mark there? All right, so, yeah, that's the most recent game, and I think there's a lot to talk about with that one. Uh, first of all, the Spurs got out to a super good start in that game. They were blowing the Pelicans out of the water. And then, slowly but surely, New Orleans clawed their way back into the game. They had some big plays. The biggest highlight play from that game is the alley-oop from half-court Lonzo Ball design, Williamson. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure you've probably seen it by now. If not, you will, because it's one of the highlights of the preseason. Here's the thing. That was still a pretty close game going into the fourth quarter. DeMar DeRozan didn't play in that fourth quarter. He subbed out uh, with, like, five or six minutes left in the third quarter. So, really, in a game where... Uh, the Spurs were also resting LaMarcus Aldridge and Rudy Gay, two of their other veteran leaders. You were expecting uh, DeRozan to, to be sort of that guy. He didn't even play all that much. The guy who played the most for the Spurs was Bryn Forbes. He played 22 minutes out of 48. And Bryn Forbes has kind of been the, the highlight for the Spurs this preseason as a guy who is creating his own shot, taking the three-point when it's there, the only guy in the Spurs taking that three-point shot. Uh, what did not help was the turnovers. You know, you saw 18 times turning the ball over there. I think that's a lot of DeJounte Murray getting more comfortable, coming back to the court. He wasn't the only guy guilty of it. We're still figuring out who's going to be the ball handlers here on the Spurs rotation. We saw last year, I mean, it was DeRozan for the big for the big chunk of the season as they dealt with kind of the point guard injuries there. Um, I, I do think that, you know, even though DeRozan didn't play in the fourth quarter, we talked about, um, and we haven't, even though DeRozan didn't play in the fourth quarter, and it kind of becomes a thing, you know, pop, throws away the fourth quarters in these preseason games. You don't want to give away too much. Uh, I mean, it still kind of hurts to see the loss there. Oh, yeah, no, especially after the way they played in the first two games of the preseason. Uh, They lost 107-89 to the Heat and 125-89 to the Magic. 
in games when the Spurs really couldn't crack 40% from the field shooting. They just were ice cold. It would have been nice, especially at home in a game that I think was people were pretty excited about. Anytime you have the number one pick and, and this number one pick in Zion Williamson, it would have been a really nice show to go out there and, and get that win, even if it meant putting more into it than you had perhaps planned on a month ago when you're starting to build the plan for these preseason games. Because now you're looking at it that the Spurs have Houston and then one other preseason game to wrap it up. 0-5 in the preseason is not a death blow. It's not doesn't mean anything. The records all get wiped clean for the start of the regular season on October 23rd for the Spurs. It puts that little bit of lingering doubt in players' minds, I think, and especially in fans' minds. And I, 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 The players are more important because, especially at this level, you have to have confidence. If you don't have confidence, it, it's a big problem. Is there anything you're seeing in these three games that, that instills confidence in you? Any positives you're taking away from this? I know we mentioned Bryn Forbes as kind of the highlight from that Pelican-Spurs game. He's been the guy this preseason for them. Yeah, I think if there's another thing that should give you confidence if you're the Spurs is that you're still in these games. When you're playing Aldridge and DeRozan, for even, even if it's either or, and even if it's just in short stretches, they're not playing well. They're not shooting the ball well. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge shooting just 42% from the floor in the preseason. Uh, he was 3 of 9 against the Heat. I know that's a pretty good defensive team, but it, the fact that the Spurs are in these games without big performances from their guys, and I think you're looking at a, a situation in the careers of LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMario Rosen where they know they don't have to get up for the preseason. It's a little bit different if you're Lonnie Walker, Bryn Forbes, even Derek White, a guy who has been playing a lot this summer. There's, there's a little bit more pressure on those guys because... They're still trying to earn their spot. They're trying to make a name for themselves. Aldridge, DeRozan, they're all-stars. Everyone knows who they are. I don't think, I think they're guys who, like you said, are maybe closer to about 70, 65% than some of these other guys who are really getting worked up and really getting ready for, for the season because they're, you know, it's more important to them. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, you mentioned guys like Lonnie Walker. I think Trey Lyles is another one. I wish we could have seen more of him in this preseason. I know he's battling a little bit of an injury issue there. Uh, he's only played one preseason game so far. When he did play, though, Shot poorly, but, you know, great rebounder. He came in with six rebounds in, in limited minutes there. Uh, and I think that's someone that the Spurs are going to need to kind of fill in as the five, maybe, as a stretch five. Stretch four next to Aldridge as he slides to the five there. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's one guy I think you need to, 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 to kind of take a look at. Hopefully he gets more time here in the next two games. Uh, Jakob Pertl has not been uh, a, a beacon here. I hate to bash him on his birthday. Um, but oh, happy he, birthday. Yeah, happy he's birthday. 24 yeah. today. So. He, had, he had a tough matchup on Sunday. He was forced to guard uh, Zion Williamson a fair bit, and that's just that's not a, a, a normal matchup indicative of what he'll see in the regular season, especially with what the Spurs are expecting him to be, which is that traditional center, and uh, Zion Williamson is not a traditional center. No. <laughs> so uh, the times he had to guard Zion on the perimeter, though, it, it, was, it was rough, and it, it does not instill confidence in situations where he might have to switch on a pick and roll or just have to close out in a you know in a late shot clock situation because he was getting he was getting beat on the perimeter. Uh, DeJounte Murray came in uh, and helped him out once or twice, but at the same time you don't really want to uh, count on DeJounte Murray being gu uh, guarding other teams' bigs in, in sort of close-out or, or help situations. Yeah, DeJounte had that one highlight block on Zion. As Zion is going up uh, for a layup or a dunk in the paint, uh, was able to come away with that block, and that's kind of uh, making the rounds on Spurs Twitter and Spurs social media there. Uh, that's a big highlight. I mean, you love seeing defensive plays like that from DeJounte. You hope you don't have to, though. You hope it's a guy like Jakob or maybe Trey Lyles, Damari Carroll, any of these other kind of bigger names. Chemezie Metu, you know, guys who are going to play that four and five who can stop them. 
Luckily, you don't have to stop uh, Zion Williams every game. So. No, no. Uh, and one more thing about the big guys is we are seeing the Spurs get out-rebounded a fair bit in these preseason games uh, against the Heat, which is the, that's a big team. That's a really tall uh, team with, with some good rebounders. They were out-rebounded by 12. And then uh, it just hasn't been, it hasn't been good at times in, against other teams. And if you're going to put a guy out there like Jakob Perl or like a Chemezie Metu who don't bring a lot offensively outside of the paint and defensively are also kind of a little bit more limited to the paint, you need to be cleaning the glass. And if they're not doing that, there's not going to be minutes for them, really. I mean, you have to start looking at situations where you're playing Aldridge at the five, maybe Lukas Samanich, uh, even though he's only 19, he really doesn't have the body to bang with some bigs. And otherwise, you may be going small and playing some combination of Rudy Gay, Damari Carroll at some small ball fives to, to rest Aldridge if if other teams are going to start doing that, and I think they will. I think that's really the direction the NBA is moving as we head into 2020 now, the end of the decade, and uh, the three-point shooting continues to get more important. We'll talk about in a little bit. I want to talk about the importance of point guards in the NBA and some of the trends we're seeing in the preseason. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned three-pointing there. Before we jump to point guards, I do kind of want to talk about three-point shooting because it's been atrocious for the Spurs. <laughs> uh, I've got the, just looking down the stats right now, I mean, DeMar DeRozan hasn't taken a three-pointer. That's something that was a big off-season kind of talking point was, hey, he's got to get better at that. He's, that's something he's got to improve. LaMarcus Aldridge, two for two for DP. He's hitting them, but <laughs> you'd like to see him kind of step that up. There has to be some sort of three-point shooting here besides Bryn Forbes on this team. Yeah, we live in a world now where Ben Simmons is shooting threes and, <laughs> and breaking the internet in doing so. Th this team really misses Davis Bertans in that department. I know Damari Carroll has been uh, shooting the ball well in a very small sample size in a couple of preseason games, but having just the guy at the four being able to shoot is a really weird look, and it's not, uh, not something that you, you want in the modern NBA. Really, without Bertans, he was an absolute dead-eye last year. This team, if they want that extra floor spacing, they need to put Marco Bellinelli out there. And what do you do when that happens is you're giving up a lot on the defensive end. He, Marco tries hard. He's a smart player. He uh, understands things. It's just physically, there are a lot of guys he's going to go up against on a night-in, night-out basis who he is just he can't keep up with from a, from a speed and quickness standpoint. Yeah, I, I honestly think he tries a little too hard sometimes. <laughs> He'll take uh, risky shots, uh, make poor decisions on the offensive side. And yeah, like you mentioned, not a good defender. It'd be nice to see if uh, someone like Lonnie Walker could take the minutes from Bellinelli with that improved three-point shot, with improved defense. You get better defense on the floor with Lonnie there, or even if you're running Derek White next to him, things like that. But these guys need to take three-pointers to get that. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Davis Bertans would be a great fit on this team. <laughs> um, I do like what I'm seeing from Damari Carroll in spurts here. He is uh, he's shooting 75% from the three-point line uh, here. And he's got to be an effective 3 and D guy for this Spurs team to be successful, I believe. Um, so that is a positive there. But again, yeah, you need more from, from your guys, uh, from DeMar especially, I think, to be starting. I mean, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a wrinkle they'll unveil as the regular season comes around. You know, not show off DeMar's improved three-point shot. I don't know. One thing that he added to his game over the course of this past season, I think it's going to continue to grow as he gets more confident with his team, is the playmaking mm -hmm. and uh, sort of putting the ball in his hands a little bit, letting him create. And that would work really well if you had point guards who were knockdown shooters where you could start to play them off the ball a little bit. That's not really uh, the situation for DeJounte Murray at this point in his career right now, where he's a lot better going to the rim, maybe getting those shots off from mid-range. Unfortunately, that's sort of the situation for all of the Spurs guys who are primary scorers. So 
Uh, that, that sort of leads into the point I wanted to talk about a little bit with point guards. It's a, it's a point guard league. We've been talking about how uh, in this millennium the, the league has moved more towards a perimeter-oriented three-point shots. The Spurs right now are very much a, a kind of a backwards team in, in the way they play uh, basketball, shooting a lot from mid-range, not so much from uh, in the paint and beyond the arc. But uh, one team that is really interesting, one of the more interesting teams that we'll see this season is the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think you could say three of their five or six best players are point guards. Mm -hmm. And in the preseason, they're, they're messing with having Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder on the floor at the same time. And I think you're st you'll start to see more and more teams play two point guard lineups. I think the Warriors are going to be at the vanguard of that with Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, and I'm interested to see how much the, the Spurs will do that. And I think it depends on how much you call Bryn For Forbes a point guard, how much do you call... Uh, Derek White, a point guard, but Jonte Murray is going to have opportunities to play. Patty Mills is going to play. So how much are you putting two point guards on the floor at the same time? Will you slide DeRozan to the three and let him be a ball-handling three? I think it's going to continue to be really important to have as many guys who can create their own shot as possible, and especially create shots for others. That one of the knocks against having multiple point guard lineups before was, well, they're undersized, but everyone's playing small ball now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you do mention undersized, but like DeJounte Murray is a tall point guard. That is something that plays in that effect. Um, and I do think, yeah, as we move more towards small ball, more small ball lineups make sense. Uh, I mean, uh, last year, the last two years, the Rockets kind of saw success making Harden more of a point guard, running Chris Paul next to him. Uh, yeah, there's there's some signs there. Now, you mentioned, I mean, one of the things you do with those three point guards is you create shots for other people. Spurs need some guys who can take some shots, you know. Um, yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge is a guy who you sort of just dump the ball to him. It's, it's not really so much a shot creation as it is the traditional post-up. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a guy who just, he lives down there. And we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, Zach Lowe sort of broke down some of the numbers. We'll talk about the uh, his annual league pass rankings and if they were unkind as first. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, now, so we, we've been talking a little about DeJounte Murray, and I think for all the things we've said, he's a guy whose star is on the rise. He's a guy, I mean, first and foremost, it's just great to see him back on the basketball oh, absolutely, court. absolutely, absolutely. Um, but he's, he's making, he's showing flashes on the defensive side, returning to that all-defensive level. Uh, he's showing some playmaking. It'd be nice to see a little bit more of the three-point shot from him, but that's something that will come in with time. Is that some, I mean, I think that's someone that we're going to see a lot more national media attention towards as he continues to, to return. I, I think that's a really a best-case scenario for the Spurs, but if he really starts to take that next step, as I think he was uh, on pace to last year, I think you'll see the national media act surprised. Like, where, who is this guy? Where's he, cut, where's he come from? I mean, it was a little bit warranted with Derek White last season, especially in the postseason. He's a guy who was a former number 29 pick, uh, former G League player, and in a lot of ways he did sort of come out of nowhere. But DeJounte Murray now... People who know should know who DeJounte Murray is at this point in his career. Anytime a guy makes second-team all-defense in his second season in the NBA, he's someone who needs to be on the radar of more than just a serious fan. Like, casual fans should start to be aware of that. The Spurs have been overlooked a lot in this past offseason. There's been a lot of big moves. The Spurs have been pretty quiet. I think the Spurs also, when they start getting in the national conversation, whether it's for good or for bad, whether they end up uh, with a hot start or not, because I think the, we talked about it in a previous episode, Jackson, this, uh, the early part of the season will really decide the Spurs season. I think the, the way the schedule shakes out, the Spurs need to be really good in the first two or three months. 
wherever the Spurs are in, by, I don't know, Christmas, when most of the world starts paying attention to the NBA, people will start being like, hey, DeJounte Murray, and hopefully uh, for Spurs fans, the numbers will be there for him. Yeah, that second half of the season is brutal. So we'll see how this first half plays out. Moving out of the pieces here, should the Spurs be panicking? I think a little bit. I really, I really do think it, you can't just write those three games off to, oh, it's preseason, we don't really care. Because the guys care. Yeah. I mean, you, you roll the ball out there, whether, you know, regardless of whether the game plan is as vanilla as possible or even if there isn't much of a game plan, you just say, go out there and let's figure out what we've got. These guys are competitive. They want to win, and they haven't. And what worries me about this team is there is sort of this expectation. The, the conversation around this team in the national media is that they're the Spurs, they'll find a way to be there, even though we think there isn't as much talent on this team. And I think that's pretty evident now that the, this team doesn't really have some of the top-level talent compared to a lot of their Western Conference foes. But the idea has always been you can't count out the Spurs, you can never count out Coach Pop. At a certain point, though, talent is what it is, and these guys are who they are. You're going to need to see some big jumps from some guys this season. I think that's going to need to compensate for the fact that LaMarcus Aldridge and Jamar DeRozan are both on the wrong side of 30. They're not improving anymore. Uh, they're great players. They have been great players in this league, but this game continues to get faster, more athletic, more three-point oriented, and the Spurs are kind of stuck a little bit. I, you know, I love Rudy Gay. I love what he brings to this team, but at the same time, you're locked into that kind of core of Aldridge, Gay, and DeRozan for this year and next year for the most part. Uh, so I start to worry that if something goes wrong with this team in the first 20, 25 games, maybe there's an injury. Maybe DeJounte Murray doesn't really make that leap. Maybe he's still sort of recovering more than we think. Maybe the shots aren't falling from some of these role players. Maybe the bench isn't as magical as it was last year. There, you could be looking at, at some real important decisions the Spurs will have to make this season because otherwise you're locked into the same team again next year. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't have much time to figure it out. If they're going to figure out a way to make the playoffs again, to, to make a run in the playoffs, I think the goal isn't just to make the playoffs, it's to make the conference finals. It's to kind of try to get to that NBA final level, have things fall your way. Uh, yeah, they've got a few months to figure that out. I'm not panicking, though. I do like the fact that these te this, this team has been in these games. I think there's going to be a lot, of uh, a lot of games where the Spurs are going to win without scoring over 100 points uh, with an improved defense. I'd like to see a little bit more of that defense here in the preseason. Uh, maybe we'll get there. <laughs> We've got two more preseason games to get there. I do think if you were rolling this, I'd, I do think I'd feel more confident rolling this Spurs team out against last year's Western Conference. It's a really stacked Western Conference. Uh, not panicking, I'd say anxious. Yeah, and, and I think you, the, the other point about preseason is that uh, it's hard for some of these guys to get into, a, especially defensively, uh, with the minutes being what they are, where the, the guy who's playing the most right now is Bryn Forbes at 20.9 minutes per game. Like, that's crazy. That's less than half of a game. A lot of these guys are playing in the first half. They know they're not going to play in the second half, or they're, if they are playing in the second half, they're playing really, they're getting extended breaks in the first half. And you, in, the, in the fourth quarter especially, you're seeing a lot of guys who aren't going to be on the opening day roster. So I think that does a lot in terms of both offensive rhythm, in terms of shooting percentages, and also defensively, you're putting lineups together, guys who are not used to playing big crunch time minutes, and guys who are not used to playing with each other yet. So 
I yeah, I maybe panic isn't full blown panic isn't the right word, but I, I I do like you said. I think I have some concerns. Yeah, I, I do want to wrap up preseason talk here, but we we've been talking about rosters, lineups here, and mentioning Bryn Forbes a lot. Do you think he's played himself into that starting two role? Is that that's where he's going to be in the season? I, I think so. I yeah. think I think that's the right situation for him, just because of what the Spurs like to do with their bench. And I think you and I have talked about Derek White a lot in the last couple months in what he brings, what kind of role he can fill for San Antonio. And putting him and or Patty Mills coming off the bench, some of the other guys who will be coming off that bench, probably Lonnie Walker uh, with the opportunity to, to get some excitement and some, some athleticism, shoot some more threes. I, I do like the idea that, hey, if you put Forbes in that starting lineup, you can mix and match a little bit more, especially in crunch time, but I think he's earned the right to be a starter. Yeah, and you need someone to space the floor with those other four guys rolling out there. If if the starting lineup is going to be Murray, DeRozan, Aldridge, and Rudy Gay, or Yaka Pertle, you need one shooter, and that's got to be Forbes, I guess. Um, now let's transition here. we got to talk about the, the story that's made national headlines across the NBA for the last two weeks. Um, and that's the, the China the China issue um, that, that's been unfolding. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into the geopolitical side of it. I will just uh, kind of wrap it up from the NBA side here. It all started um, when Daryl Morey weighed in on the Hong Kong protests ahead of the NBA's visit to China, where some a few exhibitions game were gonna, games were going to be played. Uh, in that tweet, Morey voiced his support for Hong Kong protesters. Uh, tweeting about, uh, you know, fighting for freedom. More deleted that tweet, the Houston Rockets owner came out and said, hey, you know, that's not the views that we support here, or, you know, that's... The Houston Rockets owner was in a tough spot because yeah. the Rockets are so popular in China, and there there is that conflict between China and Hong Kong. And, 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 and what it really boils down to is, a, a lot of ways, it's the NBA's business interests against the NBA's... Uh, social stance on, you know, being a, a league that is sort of at the forefront of uh, liberal change in the world and, you know, promoting their players having the right to speak freely and, and be involved in, in social issues that they care about. But at the same time, it's also really going to affect the bottom line if things end up shaking out uh, really in a worst case scenario for China. Uh, or for the NBA's interest in China, if the if China sort of backs away from uh, spending so much money on the NBA, yeah, that what, cuts into the salary cap issue. That comes into revenue issues for the teams here. It, I mean, it's a, it puts the NBA in a monetarily tough spot. I guess is uh, the the way to phrase it there. And uh, Adam Silver found himself in the middle of this and came forward and said, you know, the NBA supports free speech. I'm paraphrasing Silver here. The NBA supports free speech. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences to that free speech. Um, but you know, we're not gonna we're not going to penalize a GM for, for speaking his mind on the internet. And I think it's also important to recognize that the NBA can say that and recognize that the GM has a position of influence in the NBA, but doesn't speak for the NBA. Yeah. And I think that's something that teams or that fans will forget about sometimes is that these are individuals who work for teams, but they're also allowed to have their own opinion. This is the United States. There is this thing called freedom of speech. And Daryl Morey maybe couldn't have said those things and, you know, that we wouldn't have had this conversation. But I think it's also important that we are having this conversation. And I think it is also important that the NBA is doing what they're doing. And, and it, it's, forcing a, it's forcing a tough conversation because I think a lot of fans are sort of willfully ignorant of some of these situations. They're happy to uh, buy jerseys and watch these players uh, and teams get to grow their payroll because the league is doing business in China, but 
there's also this reckoning of what's going on, some of the things that are happening in China. And it's, it's, these are important conversations that need to be had. And Coach Popovich, who was mum on the topic for a little while, uh, finally weighed in over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the, I think, the few NBA voices when a conversation like this unfolds, you go, oh, I want to hear what he has to say. I think LeBron James is in that conversation. Steve Kerr is another guy who's in that conversation as well. So uh, Popovich was speaking to reporters uh, before the Spurs preseason game Sunday against the Pelicans. Popovich voiced his uh, support for Adam Silver for the words he said. Um, that made headlines, and President Trump weighed in. Uh, on the uh, situation, um, kind of saying, you know, it's 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 funny that he can support, say these things about China, you know, social show support for China, take money from China as an NBA person, but he can't say nice things about the United States. Uh, so then Popovich was asked about President Trump's response uh, by reporters before the Spurs preseason game against the Pelicans, and um, he he kind of called it Orwellian was his uh, his uh, phrase there. You think we're living in a place where is this really happening? But that comparison was pretty spark, stark when you put our president up against these leaders when he's with them or talking to him and how he reacts compared to the way Adam Silver reacted. I was proud of him. It was great, was uh, Popovich's quote there. Uh, and then, you know, he was a little dismissive, uh, dismissive when asked about Trump's comments, saying, you know, he's too busy. He's got a game to prepare. He's got things to do. Yeah, but he, he went on, and I think this is it's not surprising from Popovich. He's been very openly critical of the president before, so uh, these these words coming from Coach Pop are not surprising. I, I, I do. I personally think it's interesting that we're talking about this uh, in the frame of the United States, which it seems a little bit disingenuous to me, just because this is not really a, a United States issue. It's an NBA issue and a China issue. Uh, but Coach Pop going on talking about uh, the things that. President Trump said, quote, all I did was make a comparison between Adam Silver's show of principle and courage in a tough situation, as opposed to how our president reacts when in the company of authoritarian figures, whether it's Saudi Arabia, North Korea, Russia, or Turkey, whatever it is, it comes off as really feckless, impotent, cowardly by comparison. Feckless, uh, so, is, a, feckless is a great word. So yeah, <laughs> so I think word. a lot of NBA fans had to break out the dictionaries when Coach Pop <laughs> speaks. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, the Spurs head coach not being shy about how he feels about the president. Yeah, and I mean, I think the NBA right now is kind of walking that fine line of, you know, being apologetic to China, trying to keep that business relationship strong while also maintaining the stance that free speech is something acceptable uh, by the league. And not just accepted, but supported and encouraged by the league. Yeah, so Adam Silver, I th and I think this is a situation where the NBA maybe rushed into a statement, maybe rushed into some action, and then this, this sort of backtracking a little bit, but the NBA's, I think, final stance on this is uh, Silver's stance saying that he they were apologetic over the reaction that followed Maury's tweet, but they also said they're not apologizing for, for Maury exercising his freedom of expression. Cameron, I wonder if this is something we're going to be talking about next week, but as the season starts, if this is the last time we kind of hear about the China, I mean, the China issue. I mean, if you look, I think the, 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 the closest comparison in sports that we've had to this is the Colin Kaepernick situation. And that loomed over the league for the NFL for years. Um, I, I think the, the NFL kind of addressed it at the end of one season, said, look, you know, we're not doing the national anthems on TV anymore. Here's the policy we have. They rolled out some rules for that. Uh, I mean, Kaepernick is still someone who's brought up as a, as a topic of con contention here. Uh, I, 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 I can't see this unfolding in that sense. I could see by the time the regular season rolls out, it might get mentions here and there. But for the most part, I think the NBA is putting a bow on this and saying that's our final stance here. Yeah, I think one way this plays nicely in the NBA's favor compared to the NFL is that the NBA, once the season starts, has games every night. And the NBA 
in addition to the games, the, the storylines do generate themselves. There is so much player movement. The players do have so much empowerment. Uh, there will be locker room beef. Someone will tweet at someone or, or slide into someone's DM somewhere. And we'll have a silly, uh, you know, whimsical story about something else. Joel Embiid will probably DM Rihanna or something like that, and, uh, and you know, everyone will forget about this. Whereas the NFL, the fact that the games are only happening once a week, there's just so much more time to digest and pontificate over every little uh, thing, and it, you can really blow a big story into an astronomically huge story. So, yeah, I'm thinking that this, this is something that come Christmas time will feel like it happened a year and a half ago. Yeah, uh, one of those, hey, remember when? <laughs> remember when? Oh, yeah, that was October. <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to talk about is the uh, these NBA League Pass rankings. Uh, ESPN's Zach Lowe does these every year. It's a combination of how good is this team, how good is their style of play, how good are their broadcasters. Because if you're paying for the League Pass service, you're watching the local broadcasters, you're looking at the uniforms and the court design and all these other little things. But he put the Spurs 25th out of 30. Uh, and this is the way he let it off. Did you know that when boring people pair up, their boringness multiplies into a stifling super system of boredom? Oh it's gosh. true. Oh, my God. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge might be the league's two most stylistically boring all-stars. And they not only play on the same team, they cooperate on the league's staple play. It leads where you'd expect jab steps, pivot moves, and mid-range jumpers. So many mid-range jumpers. My God, the mid-range jumpers. That's how Zach Lowe <laughs> described the, uh, the Spurs, noting that they ranked last in uh, shots from inside the restricted area and beyond the arc last season. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's a, a fair assessment. I mean, the mid-range rules here in San Antonio, uh, I do have to say, you know, boring leads to 21 straight playoff appearances. So, I, I mean, whatever works, I guess. We're not, we're not playing for the top of the league pass, I think. No, yeah. no, I, I, I think if your goal at the, t at the beginning of the offseason when you sit down to build a team is, hey, let's, let's build a team that people want to watch, that's not necessarily, I think the Clippers are a good example of that in the last, uh, you know, the last iteration of the Clippers in Lob City, where they, they were fun as heck to watch. They were really entertaining, but they never got to the conference finals, I don't think. Yeah, so, how many first round exits? Uh, quite a few. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, does he say anything in the league pass rankings? I mean, I wonder if he took into account how many shots of assistant coach Tim Duncan we're going to have on the bench. <laughs> that raises up a few pegs in my book, so. Th that and also the, uh, the fact that DeMar DeRozan is is good for a couple of good dunks a year, but the Spurs did rank last in the league in dunks a season ago, which is something that you know, people like to watch. Yeah, I, I'd imagine we'll see a few Lonnie Walker dunks this year. Oh, goodness, uh, he, yeah. He might be a highlight reel himself there, so... Uh, that's interesting. We'll see how that plays out. And his his other note is uh, invasions at the AT and T bat invasions at the AT and T Center have happened often enough to transition from charming to is this dangerous? Does everyone need a rabies <laughs> shot? So I think that's a great way to transition to uh, what's driving us batty this week. Yeah, Cameron, what's driving you batty this run? This this is a small one, uh, but. Watching the preseason, I think I'd probably seen this at some point, but Demaria Carroll wearing number 77 for the Spurs, it just doesn't look like a basketball number. It looks like a guy, that, that's the kind of number you give to maybe like a college walk-on to a guy you don't expect to ever take the warm-up off at the end of the bench. But when he, then when he gets on the floor, you're like, 77, that looks kind of weird. Uh, it, it is sort of, I guess, a little bit of a tradition now for NBA guys who are start, who are maybe coming to the end of their career, trying to resurrect their career, uh, to, to pick a number that's a little bit out there. But that's not a, that's just not, it's going to take a little while for me to get used to watching a guy play significant minutes 
wearing number 77. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned guys at the end of their career going to unique numbers. Uh, I remember Dennis Rodman, when he joined the Lakers, was 73, and he came to that number because it was the inverse of his age, 37. So uh, That's uh, right. 77's a hockey number. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd love to see a Damari Carroll S.A. Rampage jersey with 77 on the back. Maybe, maybe they'll get that in the uh, Spurs shop here. Uh, for me, Cameron, uh, I just want you to do something real quick. Uh, could you Google NBA reinvention? Um, because it's something that gets used a hundred times a year as we head into the preseason. Um, I Googled it earlier today, mainly because there is a Sports Illustrated cover coming out uh, called The Reinvention of the Clippers. And you know, it's you got Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Montrez Harrell on the cover. They're all posing uh, in their Los Angeles jerseys, new Los Angeles jerseys. How many times can the Clippers roll out new jerseys here. Um, and it's not just team reinventions, um, right? I mean, obviously there's the Clippers who are gonna be reinvented, quote unquote. The Rockets are going through a reinvention. The Lakers have reinvented themselves. The Pelicans reinvention. Players go through reinventions. Two years ago, DeMar DeRozan went through the three-point reinvention in his last season in Toronto. Last year, the headline after the All-Star break was DeMar DeRozan has gone through another reinvention. He has stopped taking the three-pointers. How many times can players reinvent themselves? Blake, uh, Blake Griffin reinvented himself in Detroit as the hard-nosed, no more lob cities, the hard-nosed kind of power forward there, um, all grit kind of guy. Um, let's find a new word for it. That's all I'm saying. Reinvention. That, that, that's fair enough. I thought we were going to talk about the jerseys, which as a, as a <laughs> Southern California guy myself, I, they, they look all right. Like, I think that's, that's sort of like a, it's like a meme in Los Angeles, that, that sort of font. That it, it's a cross between Grand Theft Auto and Times New Roman, I think. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little newspapery. It, it looks all right. I yeah. mean, it, it's fine. I, I, I have no real, no real beef with it. I think, I think they're trying to appeal to more of uh, the city of Los Angeles, and uh, which, is, which has always been a Lakers town. And even when uh, the Clippers were way better than the Lakers, it was still a Lakers town. But, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just like it when teams are, are willing to try different things with, with those fourth jerseys. And uh, let this be uh, our way of saying, can we get those Fiesta jerseys, please? Oh, my gosh. I know. The announcement came out again this year. No Fiesta. It's camo. It's always camo. Uh, let, let's try something new. Let's do the fiesta. Hey, we love the troops here on the Big Fun Pod, but we also like a fiesta. <laughs> I mean, you can ma marry the two, maybe? Do a oh, that fiesta would, that camo? Would, that, that would be too much. much. That would be too much. <laughs> uh, before we get too much, I think that's uh, what we call a wrap today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Rate us five stars wherever you may be listening, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the wonderful places in the podcast, Multiverse. Cameron, any last final thoughts here? Hey, we're gearing up. The regular season's right around the corner. We're recording this here on a uh, Tuesday, which means that the NBA season tips off a week from today and the Spurs in about eight days for the, days the, the actual regular season start. And we'll have a whole lot more uh, Big Fun Pod once yeah, the season tips off. Right as the regular season comes around, we'll do a regular season preview, kind of look ahead to where we think the Spurs may finish, where we may think the finals might be. Uh, we'll get big and fun next week. Be sure to tune in then. We'll see you next time.